I'm very excited about our uh, seminar this evening and also tomorrow for knowing Christ, for knowing God better. The names that God is being given that we use sometimes without really even knowing the uh, reason we use these words, these names that God has given to us. But I want to thank you for coming out this evening. Also, I'd like to uh, start with a word of prayer. So let's, let's all stand and have our prayer. Father dear, we want to thank you so much for the love of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, beautiful salvation that if we just uh, accept him and believe on him, we'll be saved, be ready for the kingdom. And I want to thank you for this. I ask, dear Lord, that this evening our minds and our hearts will be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting as he directs us in the way that we should be going. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I, uh, when I first heard that uh, Ernie Pyle was going to be here, I was very excited because he's one of my favorite authors. But the trouble is I know that he died in Okinawa uh, as a war correspondent in uh, 1945. But this is a different Ernie Pyle, so I'd like to uh, welcome Brother Pyle to uh, our church this evening, and I'd like to just leave it with you, and you can take it from there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. I'm a big admirer of the Ernie Pyle. In fact, I was named after Ernie Pyle, but uh, sad to say I'm no relation. Now, one of the things that you'll find out about uh, Rob and myself is that I'm very easygoing, very nice, nothing ever bothers me. Rob is pretty persnickety, and he just wants everything to be just perfect. So he always asks me to take the temperature of the congregation that we have the privilege and to be in front of. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and of course I know that you're going to give honest answers. Well, first of all, let's make it easy. How many of you all are from Mount Pleasant? Can I see the hands? All right, quite a few. How many of you are from other towns than Mount Pleasant? Quite a few, I see. Is Pittsburgh a town around here? Is anybody from Pittsburgh? Okay, anybody from Paris? Texas, not France. Okay. And what other towns? That's good. That's good. Well, pardon? Where? Mount Vernon. Okay. That's just right down the road. Well, we're very, very thankful to be here at uh, Mount Pleasant looking church. My second question is really the one that's most important. How many of you, when you were driving over here tonight, turned to the person in the car with you and said something like this, oh my, I hope these people are good? <laughs> no, I hate microphones. But, uh, that's it. How many of you, no, I just didn't see that. How many of you did that? Well, my wife, I guess she's about the only one that's honest. And uh, 
But it is our privilege uh, to be here. Let me tell you a little bit about knowing God's ministry. Uh, First of all, we've had our ministry for about three years. We've had the privilege of doing uh, the names of God, which is our specialty in the Arlington Church. Uh, We did it for our prayer meetings for the Arlington Church. We've done camp meetings at Ozark. Uh, We did a camp meeting in Canada this year. Uh, We've been to Portland and we've been to Washington State. But we've always asked for the Lord to lead us where he wants us to go. And out of nowhere one day we got an email from Mount Pleasant that said we'd like for you folks to come up here. We don't know how really that they heard about us, but that's how we got here and we're just always privileged to present God to you. The theme of our message is very simple. God loves each one of you. We think this is the most important message that we can get across. And generally, wherever we have the privilege of presenting the names of God, one of the things that comes at the end of it and the response that we get was, I knew that God loved me, but I really now understand He really does love me. And so that's what we hope tonight and tomorrow If we do nothing else but get that message across, then we feel very, very humbled. I want to tell you what's going to happen. Uh, Tonight we're going to do the name of Yahweh. Tomorrow for Sabbath school, Rob Shepard will do what I like the best of the names that he does, is Jehovah or Yahweh Jireh. Now how many of y'all have heard the story of Abraham and I? Well, all of us have, but I'll guarantee you, if you're here for Sabbath school tomorrow at 9.30, at 10.30, you'll walk away with that story completely different in your mind and an amazing picture of what our Heavenly Father is like. At 11 o'clock, I have the privilege of doing my favorite name, which is Abba. Literally translated, Abba means Daddy. Have you ever thought of your Heavenly Father as Daddy? One of the most beautiful names that God has given Himself, Abba, at 11 o'clock. Now at noon, now I hide this very well. I really do. So you'll never guess that I like to eat. So we are having a potluck, aren't we? Oh, good. And one thing about it, I know you folks are good cooks. So right after our uh, worship service, we'll have potluck. And then immediately after potluck, I have the privilege of doing our fourth name, which is Elohim. God the Covenant Maker. Ma'am, you could do whatever you would like. Well, I appreciate that. I can. I believe in song service. So, nine fifteen, be here. Then at nine thirty, we'll proceed. Thank you. I appreciate that, ma'am. And Elohim, here's the promise I make you: if you'll eat a good potluck. 
I do, Elohim, I know that you're full and sleepy. So immediately as potluck's over, I spend, if everybody's nice, I spend 30 minutes on that precious name, and then I'm through. Is that fair enough? So please keep the program in mind. We come bearing gifts. First of all, we want to give everybody here tonight, everyone, children, adults, this laminated card. On this card are about, how many, Sue? Fifteen names of God. We have the pronunciation. We have what it, how it's used, and three or four where you can find the name. What we want you to do, every one of you, take a card tonight and put it in your Bible. So when you're capital G, capital O, capital D, God, you're going to look at your card and you're going to realize that means Yahweh. When you see capital G, little o, little, little d, you'll look at your card and you'll see that's Elohim. And this way, you can become acquainted with the major names of God. And if you do this, the scriptures become alive because every name that God has given himself is not only a way of introducing himself, but it's a promise of what he will do in your life. So every person here gets a card. Now we have a binder for the family. This is a binder that has 15 lesson outlines on the 15 names of God that we do. Now this is not complete notes. It's an outline to stir your thinking and help you to search out the beauties of God's name on your own. And this is one binder per family. Inside of that, you'll have one laminated card, and then we also have a very nice brochure with the 24 names of God that's in the binder, one per family, that you can put where you study or in your office or where you do your private Bible studies. And again, it has 24 names, pronunciation, what does it mean, and the text to do it. And then our final thing that we give you is a set of 15 CDs, and these are on the introduction and 14 names of God. Uh, we would like one per family, and uh, play these, listen to them, share them with your friends. And so uh, when the service is over tonight, stand up, Sue. Sue's my wife. She's sometimes nice. And so what I want you to do is see her helper. We'll be glad to give the gifts that we brought because we want these in your hands so that you can realize and be touched by these names of God. The way our ministry got started is Rob and I have a home church uh, in my home. We've had it for about five years. We've done things such as the chronological study of the books of the Bible, 
the presently we're doing the chronological life of Christ. But it was when we did the names of God that we got the most response. And we began to think that we would have the privilege of sharing this beauty with people such as you in Mount Pleasant. Again, it's our privilege to be here. We pray that God will give us all a blessing. Our speaker this evening is a good friend of mine. We've been friends for over 30 years. He's been my pastor. Um, He was also uh, head of the theology department at Southwestern Adventist College for 13 years. And he had at one time a semi-brilliant student in Greek that he did not appreciate. And, um, but we've been a, a good friends, uh, pray together, love God together. And I guess when you introduce somebody, you kind of want to, want to you know, do the highlight or something of their life. And the way I like to introduce Rob is he is a man who loves God, and you will see that tonight. Our speaker this evening, on the name of Yahweh, Dr. Rob Shepard. Thank you, Ernie. Get this out of your mm-hmm. way. I need permission for one thing. Can I take my coat off? We're going to uh, pace back and forth. And I've got so many things that I want to share with you. By the time we get through here, I'll probably be all lathered up because they get very excited about what I'm trying to share with you. You begin asking the question, why so many names? What are they there for? Why were we not told this? We're not here to try to add anything new. What we're trying to do is to throw the the spotlight on the Word so that we can understand God in the way that he wanted us to. In the original language, they didn't have a problem knowing what these names meant because the word, as it was spelled, they saw what it meant. But when they started translating it into other languages, some of these names, they couldn't spell those out. They couldn't tell exactly what it meant. It's almost like if you went over to uh, Egypt... And you try to translate something into their language. And you come to the term, get on the ball. Now, how are you going to translate that? You can do it literally, get on the ball, and you're going to really fool a lot of people. You try to capture the idea of it. When you capture the idea, you move away from the language. You're trying to get the the heart of what it was. So the translators of the scripture, they were having a real dilemma. If we translate what this name means, then we're going to move away from what the scripture is doing and and to begin adding words, we don't want to do that. Ah, when they wrote, wrote the King James Bible, this is where it started. They said, we've got to indicate to people that there are different names for God. Now, I want to quiz you on something and see how attentive you were. Ernie said, every name of God is what? Ah, yes. Every name of God states a promise 
about what he will do for you. So when you read that, that is God's guarantee that what he says there, he promises you he will do. And as Ernie also said, if you understand these names and you look in that little uh, card and you see what those are, all of a sudden the scripture begins to open up and you get to see God in a way that you've never seen him before. And I'd like to demonstrate that for you tonight when we get to the name Yahweh. But I'd like for you to understand what drives us. I have a full-time job. I'm a professional counselor. I have a private practice. So I'm not doing this to earn anything. And by the way, you told them how much all this stuff was? Zero. All free. There are people in the Arlington Church who heard this and said, other people have to hear this. And so they are dedicating money to, as we go out to help us to bring these things. So we're not here asking for anything. We're here to try to share with you what burns in our hearts. Now, let me share with you an interesting statement that I read in a book called The Unknown Christian. And I think you can relate to this. It says, the devil simply revels to see defeated Christians desperately busy for Christ. The devil doesn't mind you being here. Doesn't mind you being in a church. But when you know what we are going to try to reveal to you this weekend, the devil fears. He trembles. Because what this will do to your life. The devil simply revels to see defeated Christians desperately busy for Christ. He loves to see them haggling over doctrine and polity and the color of a church rug. He's thrilled. All he wants is that we miss the central theme of all Christianity, of all the Bible, Found in John 17, 1 to 3. Now, every one of my students for 13 years, I branded this on their gray matter. When they went out that door, I wanted them to dream it. I wanted them to see it in the night. I wanted, it, wanted them to stumble over it. Because it says, this is eternal life. To know thee. That is eternal life. Not to know a, a bunch of doctrines. Not to know a bunch of standards. I mean, those things all play their role. I'm not trying to disparage any of those. But it is possible that we can know all of that stuff and never know Jesus Christ the way He wants us to know Him. Because it's in knowing Him that we have eternal life. What drives us? We caught a glimpse. We caught a glimpse of the glory of what God is trying to get across. And it burns in our heart. Ernie has a full-time job too. 
He's worked for Fortune 500 companies, training people. He still trains people. Full-time job. Sue does. I just want you to know what leads us out here is that something is burning in our heart and we can't shut up. Praise God. And this is what we're trying to share with you this weekend. That you too will find that burning in your heart. I'd like for you to look in a passage. Now, folks, don't worry about taking notes. Don't worry about writing down passages. The notebook you have has all of those things in there. And you also can listen to them on the the CD. Uh, We have a lot of people doing that, and they, they will copy them. You're welcome to copy them and send them out because we want people to be introduced to what the Father is like. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to introduce you to a concept here that Paul was trying to get across. 2 Corinthians, and a little later, I'm going to come back to 2 Corinthians 3. Right now, 2 Corinthians 4, and uh, starting with verse 1. And just like Paul, you find out what, what caused him to go. This is what caused him to go. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy... We do not lose heart. What is this ministry? Would you look at the last verse of chapter 3? You'll see what that ministry is. Look at last verse, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As we get to know Him, the only way that we change from glory to glory is knowing Him. So he says, we have this ministry. He said, but, but we have renounced the, the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Who's veiling their eyes? Who's veiling their eyes? It's okay to talk here. It's okay to ask a question. The devil wants to veil their eyes because he knows if they ever get a sight of what God is like, a change begins to happen within. So he says that gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's what drives us. 
you catch a glimpse of that glory and you can't shut up. It's beautiful. The devil trembles whenever he hears the name and the glory of God presented before people because when he fell from heaven, he fell and he had, there was war in heaven and he had to misrepresent God to try to deceive all of those people who could stand there and they could see God. He couldn't convince them there was no God. They could see him. But what he did was he took his own character and placed it on the character of God so that when you see that, you will be repulsed. How many times have you picked up Scripture? Have seen passages in there that cause you to think, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't have treated people that way. The devil wants to cast blame, wants to misrepresent who God is, so you will turn away because by beholding him, you become changed. So the devil is doing everything that he can to try to hide from us who God is. Did you realize something? When Jesus came, he came into the world that was the most religious world that ever was. You realize that? The people to whom he came, did they keep Sabbath? Did they pay tithe? Did they go to all the religious services? It was the most religious world there was. And yet the world was darker almost to the place where the devil was ready to raise his hand and say, I did it. I proved what I could do. And at the world's darkest moment, Jesus Christ sent his son into this world to demonstrate the character of God that by beholding him, you will become changed. One of the reasons that we present the names of God is because every one of them is like taking a diamond and holding it up to the light in every place that you turn that another beautiful color comes through every name gives you another dimension of God's love God's character God's work that he will do for you that's why the devil doesn't want you to know that that's why he's trying to hide that from you. I'd like to share something with you. Let's say that through that door walks two men, about six foot five, huge muscular guys. They walk down there, they walk down here, and they walk up at me and I'm looking up at them and they sweep me to the side with one small brush of their hands. And then they turn and they fix their eyes on that door 
and a man walks through there. He's about seven foot tall, and he comes down here, and he says, Lock the door. Love me. You're not getting out that door. Love me, or I will crush your head. God can never use force. Only by love is love awakened. All that God can use is a display of love. And by looking at those names, all of a sudden you begin seeing the dimensions and the character of God that takes your breath away. And once you see that, you can never turn back. And the devil knows that. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love him. His character must be manifest in contrast to this character of Satan. That by beholding him, you may become changed. Now, I want to read to you a statement. And this statement is the true insight into what prompts us to come. Okay? Bear with me just for a moment. The darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Isaiah 60, verse 2. Listen carefully to these words. It is the darkness of misapprehension, misunderstanding of who God is that is enshrouding the world. The world is dark. What makes it dark? A misunderstanding of who God is. Men are losing their knowledge of His character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time... What time? At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed. A message illuminating in its influence, saving in its power. His character is to be made known. Into the darkness of the world is to be shed the light of His glory. The light of the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the truth about God. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming. When is that? When is that? Right now. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God. <laughs> That's our message. A message is to be taken to the people. And what is that message? Behold your God. This is the last rays of merciful light. This is the last message of mercy 
to ever be given to the world. It is a revelation of the character of God. That's what drives us. Because a light is going to begin shining around this world like it had never been before. And the light that will go around this world is the absolute brilliance of what God has done in your life as you've been exposed to Him. So, I want to expose you to one of the names of God. The name Yahweh. Now, how did it get that way? The name Yahweh is uh, a name that used to be Jehovah. Now, there are many people who have a real hard time with some of that because they feel that Jehovah was the name. I'm not here to go one way or the other. All we did was we found out finally, the manuscripts helped us to understand, that the way we used to pronounce the name Jehovah was really Yahweh. Y-A-H-W-E-H. Yahweh. It's the name that Moses said, Who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? I am that I am. It actually is in the future. The name is actually in the future tense. It says, I will be what I will be. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. So when you look in Scripture and you see any name of God with all caps, that's indicating to you, this is Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? Now Yahweh is also combined many times with other names. Tomorrow I'm going to share one of those with you. Yahweh Jireh. Many names are combined with Yahweh. And he does that because he's trying to capture the meaning of Yahweh and add it to other words to try to help you understand what he will do for you. So, when you look in the Bible, the very first name that is mentioned there is Elohim. That's the one Ernie's going to give tomorrow afternoon, Elohim. The one who said, out of all this stuff that I've created out of nothing, I make a covenant with it that I will not leave it nor forsake it. Wait till you hear what he tells you about this covenant. Then the second name that's mentioned in the Bible is Yahweh. Yahweh, I am that I am. I am the sum total of everything. I will be what I will be. No one is going to block me in. I will do whatever it takes to reach my people. So I am that I am Yahweh. What does it mean? Now hang on here. Don't fall asleep because if you do, you're going to come up with the wrong meaning of what this name is. 
The very first aspect of it, it's like taking this diamond that I referred to and keep turning it around and you see these brilliant, brilliant colors. And so I want to do that with this name. The very first meaning about it is that he is the sum total of everything that is good. He is everything that is righteous. That is Yahweh. He is the perfect standard of what is righteous, what is good. The second part of this name says, not only am I the perfect standard of righteousness, but whenever I see sin, I must point it out. Aha, don't fall asleep on me. Because that's the picture we get so many times of God that we've got to behave in a certain way. Or He's going to catch us. He's going to, he's going to condemn us. Yahweh is the perfect standard of righteousness and anything that doesn't come up to that standard, He points it out. Wait till you see why. Yahweh comes to you as the one that says, here is this standard. And that standard is, I rule this universe by the standard of love. And we're going to see how this being operates in a, in a world that failed. What does this God do? So, I'm the perfect standard of righteousness. If sin ever shows up, I have to point it out and I have to judge it. Now, hang in here with me. Because this also could make you look at him like, oh boy, every time I do something wrong, he's going to point it out and he's going to judge me and say, you're going to die if you don't change that. Why does he do that? In Psalm 139, it says, Father, and I'm going to be using this one tomorrow. David is saying, Father, you know me so well. You know everything about me. You know my down-sitting. You know my uprising. You know everything about me. God wants to be your friend. Amen. God wants to take anything that is hurting His friend away from them from hurting them. God sees what that depraved nature that you were born with does to you. He knows the fears. He knows the pride. He knows the obsessions. He knows everything that is within you, but He does not come to you and say, get this cleaned up or you can never be with me. He says, I know that if this is let go, it will destroy you. 
Now, let's say that one of these children, as a little child, comes and says, Mama, Daddy, I want to ride my bike out in that great big cement parking lot. Can I go do it? Please, please, let me go do it. Oh, all right. And the child is delighted until it rides down on the parking lot and finds out it's a freeway. Would you do that to your child? Absolutely not. The first time a truck goes whizzing by, all of a sudden the child says, Whoa! Why didn't they tell me about this? God is dedicated to know you as his friend. When Joshua came to him who was standing before him, it said that Satan appeared. And he said, look at this man. Look how filthy he is. Look at all the things he's done. He's rotten. And really, at the base of what he's trying to do, he's trying to say, if you say that he's going to be saved, then you're going to have to take me back too. And he looks at Joshua and he condemns him. You ever done anything wrong? And all of a sudden you're just eaten up. Eaten up. Do you know who's standing over your shoulder telling you how dirty, rotten, filthy, failure you are? He'll remind you of it all the time. And do you know what God's response is? He says, shut up. Bring the golden robe and cover him. Put a crown on his head. That is my child. It says that the Spirit will talk to our spirit, trying to awaken in us that we are loved by our God. The devil wants to so overwhelm us that we cringe with it. But your God, who is the standard of righteousness, must point out sin because he knows if he doesn't, it will destroy you. So not only is Yahweh the righteous one, not only will Yahweh point out sin, but Yahweh rushes in and says, everything you need to be healed, I am. Do you understand that? Everything you need, I am. That's your God. Now, let's watch him act. Let's watch him behave. Adam was his friend, walked with him. And when he fell, how did God respond? Do you think God knew that they had already tasted of that fruit? And yet, in the cool of the evening, what did we read? As usual, as his custom was, God came walking in the cool of the evening and said, Adam, you know, he never had to call him before. Adam, where are you? Adam, Eve. Do you think he knew where they were? 
Do you think he stood right by the bush that they were hiding behind, itching from those fig leaves? <laughs> and God turns and says, who is that? What's going on? Adam, why are you hiding? Have you, have you eaten of the tree that I said not to? What do we expect God to do? Do you know what the devil did? Well, you'll have a treat when you look at chapter 3 of Genesis. Because you think the devil doesn't know what these names mean? Look at the name that's on his lip. When he comes, he comes as this shimmering creature, whatever it was. It must have been awfully beautiful sitting in that tree, munching on whatever that fruit was, making all kinds of noise, the, the fruit, the juice going out his lips. And he's sitting there, and all of a sudden he makes so much noise that he attracts Eve's attention, and she comes close. And she looks up in there and said, What is this? And he looks down and he said, He knew what she was thinking. He said, Yea, hath Elohim, the one who said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, has he said you will die? Wait a minute. He's lying to you. Because his very name means I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That is the only name. He couldn't deny that God existed. What he had to do was misrepresent his character and he did it by using the names of God and said, Eve, you mean that Elohim, the one who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, said you would die if you eat this? <laughs> Something's wrong. I've been eating it and I'm talking. Guess what will happen to you? Look how much higher you are. If you eat it, you will be like the most high. Where did we hear that before? <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I want to be like the most high. Actually, what it says is I want to be above the most high. Same thing he said to Eve. And Eve looked at that and said, God must not meant what he said because the serpent isn't dead. He's eating it. Oh, do you think he's trying to hold back from you? He doesn't want you to know what he knows. He's trying to keep something away from you. Here. And she took and she ate. Adam. Eve. Did you take of the fruit that I ask you not to take? All the universe was watching that moment. What is God going to do? Surely he's going to kill them on the spot. Yahweh walks in and says, I'm the perfect standard of righteousness. What have you done? No. I want to show you something of what he did. Something I was never told before. It says that Yahweh grabbed them by the hand and rushed them to the garden, the, the outward east of Eden. And when he brought them out there, it was there that he explained what would happen. It was there that he had to take the life of that lamb.
Folks, one of the most beautiful pictures of God is presented in Genesis 3. Because it says that he stationed cherubim at the east end of the Garden of Eden and a sword that turned every way. That sounds like a pretty mean God to me. By the way, the word cherubim means two, not one. There were two angels there, not one. And there was a sword that turned every way, but it wasn't a sword that was looking like this, waiting for someone to make a dash to the tree of life so they could lop the head off. It doesn't even say that. The Hebrew word says that the the sword is a bright, shiny sword, and they used picture words to try to help them understand something. And he said the, the bright, shiny sword that's hanging from a rope, and it's turning this way. And every time that bright, shiny sword catches the glimmer of the sun, these rays are shooting all over the place. By the way, where else in Scripture do we see two angels with a light between it? In the Ark of the Covenant. What was at the east end of the Garden of Eden? The Ark of the Covenant. God was there in the present between those two angels, because he says, I must stay among you. I must be with you. But if I stay with you as I was before, you will be destroyed. But I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. There was the picture of God. And there's where Adam and Eve came all the time to meet with their God. At the east end of the Garden of Eden. What an incredible picture of God. He didn't forsake them. He didn't leave them. With tears in his eyes, he grabbed their hands and he ran to the east end of the Garden of Eden. And there, they could see him no more in the form that he was in. But they could see him in that light. And we see that light showing up in Scripture over and over again. And the light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the revelation of God to the world. Do you think that's all he did? One of the most exciting discoveries I have made in the scriptures is what I'm going to tell you next. Yahweh called them to Mount Sinai. And if you look at the scripture and you look at it in context, you will see what this means. Because he asked the children of Israel, will you follow me? And what did they say? Yes, we'll follow you. All you tell us to do, we will do. He says, good, come to the mountain." And there he spoke forth the Ten Commandments. And do you know what I discovered? I discovered that the Ten Commandments were written in the future tense. All of you are sitting there wondering, so? What what is that? Do you know that I can tell you 
in an imperative, which is a command, shut the door. That's a command. I can also say, you will shut the door. That is a statement of what you will do in the future. The Ten Commandments were written in the future tense. He says, if you love me, if you follow me, guess what will happen to you? You won't have any other gods before you. You won't crave any other gods before you. Because as you know me, I will produce this in you and you will desire no other gods but me. You won't take my name in vain. You won't make graven images to me because you know you can't. You'll even want to spend time with me. Do you know what else? You won't kill your neighbor. You won't steal from them. You won't commit adultery. You won't envy them. Every one of the Ten Commandments become a promise. Blazon them on our wall. They are ten promises of what you will become as you behold this God. All of a sudden, they don't become the standard by which I perform to get to heaven. They become the byproduct of associating with my friend. And I look and I say, who did this? The things I used to love, I now hate. And the things I used to hate, I now love. Who did this? Thank God, through Jesus Christ, I beheld the glory of God. And He changed me from glory to glory to glory. Can you love a God like that? He has you by the hand. He's running with you. He wants you to come to the place to where you recognize what He has done for you. And do you know what? He wants to meet you. This Word is the light of the world. This Word is reveals what your Father is like. Amen. He says, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Father in heaven, how incredible you are. Amen. Why did they hide those things from us? Why did they not tell us the truth about you? Now I understand that the devil wants to do everything he can to hide your glory. Because by beholding you, I become changed. By knowing you, I experience not only life eternal, but life today. Oh, Father, may we spend that time with you, beholding you, and all of a sudden, like Paul, we will say, who has done this in us? Your friend Jesus has. He's the one who will change us. Yes. 
into the same image like himself. How does he do that? By beholding him. Oh, Father, I thank you for my dear friend, Ernie. And so, to be able to travel with them, to go around, to do something that is one of the most wonderful jobs I've ever had, and that is introducing people to my Father. Please guide us this weekend. Come pitch your tent with us in this church this weekend that we may steadfastly behold the Lamb. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can't wait till tomorrow. Got more wonderful stories to tell you. When you leave tonight, remember, pick up a, a uh, notebook, one notebook per family, please. In that notebook is going to be the items that Ernie talked about, one of those little laminated sheets and that beautiful fold-out sheet. And then one per family for the CDs. Those are all free. Those are a gift. That by taking these, you'll get to know him better. So the, just come through this way and make sure that you, uh, you get your, your material. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you in the morning.